Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian and Andrew, and we are here with none other than Patrick Fegis of Fegis Barbecue. Welcome in, Patrick. Thank you for having me. And we're gonna we're gonna get into there's a lot of news with Fegis Barbecue over the last several months. Now opening Greenway Plaza. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna go all the way back to kind of the first seeds of Fiji's barbecue and, and get into how you got to where you are now and, and possibly what the future may hold. So let's start way back the way back at the beginning, Brian. What do you have? So you know, um, <clears throat> Patrick, we've talked before, and, and um, you're you're a veteran, um, honored veteran. Tell us a little bit about um, that time. I joined the army summer. Well, I went to basic training summer of 2003. Technically signed up <clears throat> right before my 18th birthday. Delayed entry program. We were at war with Afghanistan before Iraq. That spring we went to war, we invaded Iraq. And then, yeah, that summer is when I went to basic training, uh, which was great because it's Fort Jackson, South Carolina in the summer, and everyone's bitching about the heat and the humidity. And in Houston, guys, this ain't nothing. <laughs> went to Korea after that, South Korea. Camp Hovey, Camp Casey, about 10 miles from the DMZ. Uh, and this is when North Korea was behaving themselves. So it was, uh, wasn't was as, as tense as it is now, I'm sure. Uh, spent about eight months there, and we got orders to deploy to Iraq. Were so, you expecting Iraq was a possibility at the time, or was that a surprise? No, it was a complete surprise, because <clears throat> technically Korea is a, a, a deployment, because... Technically, they're still at war. There's a ceasefire. And obviously, the way North Korea's acting, you know, it's tense, right? So it's that was the silver line. And like, oh, if I'm going to Korea, at least I'm not going to Iraq or Afghanistan. But they decided to downsize the U.S. force in South Korea and hand it more over to the South Koreans. And since we are technically combat-ready and haven't been in combat... They decided that they were going to send us to Iraq and then permanently to stateside. So, because we're prepared to go to war with North Korea, we were prepared to go to war with in Iraq, which is, you know, jungles, desert, same thing pretty much, right? That was August of 2004 is when we shipped out to Iraq, or Kuwait. We spent about three weeks in Kuwait training so yeah, after three weeks of training and stuff like that, we got to do some cool army shit, uh, shoot a lot of guns. We did the convoy into Iraq, and it was about a three-day three day convoy. Iraq's not that big, but we're going, imagine driving to Dallas going 35, 40 miles an hour. <laughs> it took a while. So this was the second year of the Iraq War, 2004, so it was still relatively new. Really before IEDs became a thing, they were just starting to become a thing, but you know, you gotta be vigilant. So it's, imagine driving to Dallas, going 35, 40 miles an hour, but your head on a swivel and constantly stressed out. So it took us three days to get there. We went to Aramadi, which is the capital of the Sunni Triangle. Uh, it's kind of Ramadi, Fallujah, and Baghdad, kind of the, the big bad cities. We were, so I was the second infantry division, the army. We were attached to first marine division who was running the camp. I was there for three months, uh, dodged some bullets, literally dodged some bullets. 
Ramadi had two snipers, one really good and one really bad. I got shot at by the bad one. Me and my sergeant were, were sitting in an observation tower and the bullet literally went between our heads. Dodged some mortars, we got mortared every day. Wow. Uh, every single day they lobbed mortars at us and they would, what they would do is they would put the tubes in trucks or, and lob a mortar and, and drive off so you couldn't find them. So there was a couple of close calls with mortars. What ultimately got me was a mortar. I was walking to the dining facility. <clears throat> it was the day before my 20th birthday, November 1st, Day of the Dead. We were walking and I turned to say something to a buddy of mine, there's about six of us, and this, this explosion goes off and you feel the concussion. People kind of got knocked off their feet because it was, I found out later, it was like 20 feet away uh, is where it landed, which is you know, pretty close. Immediately felt the pain in my gut and you know, assess everything, who's hurt, who's injured, whatever. You know, I'm hit, so they grabbed me up and carried. Luckily, I'm only alive today because we were right next to the aid station. So they picked me up, carried me in to the aid station, and uh, at that point, I'm out. So they give me an aid station, and it's, I'm, I'm in and out. Long, not to get into the details any more than I have already, I ended up severing my iliac artery which is a very major artery. It's the one, it, it's your femoral artery, but higher up in your abdomen. I ended up receiving 32 units of blood, which out of curiosity, I Googled later on and found out that the average human has 14 units of blood in them. So I, I mean, I bled to death. Uh, twice. Twice. My, I was re my heart stopped and I was revived twice. Once, I believe, I mean, the, the, the records aren't, don't really tell you where this happened, but I believe by this recollection, one was in Ramadi, right when that happened, and then the other time in Baghdad, uh, where they did the, the surgery. So I kind of tore up my intestines. I lost a foot, literally 12 inches of intestines, uh, severed my iliac artery, they took uh, artery out of my left leg to attach it to the iliac to reattach it um, I developed in Baghdad so this all happened in Baghdad I developed compartment syndrome which is a sports injury where blood was going down to my leg and then uh, it wasn't coming back up, Not coming up yeah. so then you're at risk for uh, um, blood clots so what they did is a what they call fasciotomy which is they cut either side of my calf from knee to ankle just to let the blood out and uh, I'm sure some of the 32 units went there as well to this day my right calf is is a lot larger than my left calf it never it's just scar tissue right um, so they're flying me to Germany the plan was to, when I landed in Germany they were planning on amputating my leg below the knee because it wasn't getting better after they did the fasciotomy they, for whatever reason, the air pressure on that flight fixed whatever was wrong. Wow. But they were scheduled to chop the leg off. Wow. So, yeah, I saw my leg because, because of that flight. I've, I've had doctors tell me, oh, you're lucky to be alive. You're lucky you still have your leg. So it's as bad as it was, I used up all my luck.
Yeah. It was the complete right set of circumstances for a horrible situation to right. be less horrible, I guess. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I guess it's no point in playing a lotto because I used up all of my good fortune uh, that day. Um, so I was in like, Ramstein for a week, out. Uh, I woke up at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. They, they took me off of pain medication. They took me off everything trying to wake me up. I was just out. You know, I wake up and, they, you know, uh, they, I spent... Two, two weeks in Walter Reed, and this happened right before Bush got reelected. I mean, this was November 1st, right? Bush went to Walter Reed on a, a weekly basis, I found out, and they asked, the president's coming, would you like to, to meet him? I turn to my mom, she's shaking her head yes, because she's a diehard Republican, and Bush is from Texas, and we're in Texas, and he golfs at the golf course uh, across the street from where we grew up. I was like, yeah, sure. Like, did he win? Like, I had no idea. <laughs> I had been out. Like, oh, yeah, he won. He won. All right, cool, cool. So they, uh, so I got to meet President Bush. And the best story about that is my brother talking his way past Secret Service. Because wow. they shut the whole floor down. And my brother had gone to do something and didn't make the trip up to that floor. Because they moved me to another room. This floor is secure. This is where the president's coming. And my brother, my brother somehow talked his way past Secret Service to get to the room. And then he kept trying to get me to ask him about his daughters and i'm on <laughs> morphine oh, the I've Bush got twins a, were a big deal back yeah, then yeah they were they were <laughs> some party girls and you know i was on morphine and i i had a fever i was hallucinating I was, they were giving me ambient at night ambient and morphine I was, I was tripping for like three days and I'm like, no no but i just remember this nurse telling me make sure you call him mr president like, okay okay and so then he's talking to me and i just like yes mr president Okay, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. And my brother's sitting there just dying laughing. Because I'm just like rambling on. Just Mr. President. Mr. President. That was cool. But probably the coolest part of that is, so he walks in and he's got this president, this presence, like Bush, like that Texas swagger. You know, that's why he won. Politics aside, he's got swagger, right? He walks in the room. You know he's there. And, uh, and then quietly, about two minutes after he walked in the room, Laura Bush slips in. And immediately goes to the parents, and then she came by, and that was probably, I thought that was kind of cooler than meeting Bush. Like, all right, dude, Bush is doing his duty, but like, she kind of came in and on the slide, not to be, you know. And you know, they take pictures. They've uh, official photographer, and you know, Bush and Laura uh, or George and Laura signed it personally, and uh, they sent it to you. And actually, Laura Bush came out with an autobiography, and our picture is in that book. Amazing. They have the wrong name. <laughs> My name's not in the Figs? book. No, it was. I think it was the other guy that was in the room, Sergeant So and They promoted me. Uh, boom, the picture's in there. But uh, after that, they sent me down to um, San Antonio. It was. They waited. I knew this before I even got hurt. Uh, we were waiting till the election after the election before we went and sweep the city, because a bunch of wounded soldiers isn't good for re-election. Yeah, uh, the, the optics of things and yeah. 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 So as soon, as soon as the election was over, that's when they went through Fallujah again, and then we went through Ramadi. So Walter Reed was getting overrun with, with injured soldiers. So they, uh, oh, we live in Houston. If you guys want to send us down to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. And they were happy to, you know, send me down there because they needed the beds. And it was better for my leg because Brook Army Medical Center is the number one burn unit in the world, which does skin grafts. And because my leg was so swollen, I needed a skin graft on it. Uh, because remember they cut it from knee to ankle. I mean, it was open, maybe like, like fish? 
four inches. Like I could see calf muscle. It was insane. I always remember it was always I was on a morphine button, and uh, God, morphine's great too. Uh, <laughs> I, I can totally see why people get addicted to it. It was oh, it was. But every time they had to change the bandages twice a day, they had to give me a shot of, of morphine because it was so painful on my leg. Because your nerve endings grow back faster than your tissue, skin cells, yeah. your tissue does. So that's that's why it's so painful, band-aids and stuff like that. But they sent me down to Bamsey, Brook Army Medical Center. And so my mom was actually able to go home because she was up there the entire time. Uh, so she was actually able to go home and visit me and come back and visit. Because I, I got four brothers, or three brothers and a sister. Uh, they were the all oldest, still or? living at home. I'm the oldest, yeah. Okay. So they're all still living at home. So my mom spent two weeks in Washington with neighbors watching. So she had to go home and go back to work and stuff like that. So... You know, I was in the hospital uh, in San Antonio for, for three weeks. They sent me home, come back in, in two weeks for an appointment. But uh, so they put me in the medical holding unit, uh, which you're in while you heal or while you out process. So you go to the medical holding unit and you visit this doctor and he evaluates you and he decides. Do you stay and heal and go back to your unit or do you work on getting out of the military? medically discharged and so he decided they were going to medically discharge me i at the time wasn't fit for duty i couldn't the biggest thing is i couldn't lay in the prone position so because of that they decided i you know we're going to medically discharge me. it's a very good idea yeah it's yeah probably a, probably a fair decision at that point right <laughs> you know and i was if i hadn't gotten hurt i probably would have stayed in 20 years i'd be five years away from retirement right now you know and it's i really loved being in the army but also your death experience kind of changes your mind so i didn't argue that when they decided uh, you're done I'm like all right cool i agree so i spent what eight about eight months there and so they give you menial jobs as why you heal just so you're not sitting around in your barracks doing nothing and they made me a duty driver where you're driving people to appointments picking up their family from the airport you know which was great because i you know you work like eight hours a day like you know, three days a week, maybe one week in a month. It was it was a lot easier, Damn. a lot more free time. But one of the guys that was also the duty driver uh, in the army, if you got one of those last names that's like eight letters, you're just your alphabet, private alphabet, specialist alphabet. And I cannot remember this guy's name, but his nickname was Specialist Alphabet because it was some check name that was like ten letters long. Ended with S K I probably. Yeah, or somewhere around there. Yeah. But uh, he was leaving. He was getting out, going back home, wherever, California, whatever. And he was living off base with his wife. And I guess a neighbor had given him this Brinkman vertical smoker. And he asked me, he's like, I'm kind of like the bullet style yeah, smoker. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like one of the no OGs. Pun intended. He's like, well, I'm leaving. Like, do you want this? I'm like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, if you don't want it, I'm just going to leave it by the trash. Well, I guess I'll take it home because every weekend I'm going home because I'm three hours from where I grew up, where my mom lives. Uh, I was like, well, I guess I'll take it home. Yeah, sure. And uh, so I guess that was the the first inkling of me cooking barbecue. That once I kind of got bit by that barbecue bug, it's like, all right, let me try and figure out how to do this myself. It's a you know. dangerous road to go down. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the time, you know, a lot of people may, may not understand, but... You know, it, you know, we call it kind of before Franklin, but before his book, before his videos, yeah. there was not a lot of material out there. You know what? I was, so I was in culinary school about two years after I got out of the Army. You know, I ended up in culinary school in Austin. 
year-wise, what, what were we talking here? 2000... 2006. Okay. Yeah, I got out of the Army in 2005. October of 2006, I moved to Austin to go to culinary school. It's a barbecue, you know, the Austin lifestyle. This is, you know, 2006. Obviously still before Franklin. Eating around, where do you go? Cooper's in Lano. Rudy's. While I was at home before I went to culinary school, I kind of was playing around with that smoker, the, the infamous rusted out Brinkman. Uh, playing around with it, not really serving any, cooking anything that's really worth talking about. Um, no idea what I'm doing. So I remember in culinary school, we had a student that had, had cancer or something, so they decided to do a, a uh, barbecue cook-off to raise money. So everyone in our class, we got together. We had this guy that had a big 500-gallon uh, propane tank smoker. And uh, he was an Army guy, too. You know, a lot of military people go to culinary school. Interesting. Hmm. We had a lot of people in my class that uh, were in the military. It's but hard work, and it's, you know. There's, there's, there's a theme. You yeah. know, the adrenaline rush, the, the, the shitty hours. We do this cook-off, and, you know, I'm going to do the brisket. I'll do the brisket. I've cooked some brisket. I'll do the brisket. This guy, James, is his smoker. He's going to do the ribs, and then someone else did the chicken. I remember... At one point, somewhere down the road, I looked up how to cook brisket, and it landed on Emeril Lagasse recipe. <laughs> and Emeril was like hot shit back then. Like yeah, that's yeah. the guy. Mm-hmm. That's whoever wants to be. And so I did this Emeril Lagasse recipe, and it's got herbs in the rub, oregano, and all sorts. <laughs> and, yeah, and I th- I think the entire cook was wrapped in, in foil. I had no idea what I was doing. Obviously, <laughs> somehow. And we watched other people, like, they're grilling the brisket. It was insane. <laughs> Somehow, we get third in brisket. It's a, it's a crappy culinary school <laughs> barbecue cook-off. Somehow, I get third in brisket by cooking it the entire time in foil. Uh, it was probably tender. It was tender. <laughs> I guess, you know, they don't look for smoke rings anymore, right? <laughs> so, you know, we got, like, second in ribs and, like, second in chicken. We won, you know. But after that, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. This is cool, man. Like, so yeah. So after that is when I really started getting into the barbecue. And speaking of books, the the library at the school had uh, Mike Mills' book, Peace, Love, and Barbecue. And I checked that out, and I never returned it. And the school closed, <laughs> and they took all my money. And so I don't care. <laughs> and if someone from that school is listening, come find me. Uh, the great thing it was worth the money at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I paid thirty-two thousand dollars, whatever, for that book. Um, or the government did. You guys, the taxpayers did, I guess. Uh, the great thing is I, I got to meet Mike last summer and tell him, like, you, first barbecue book I ever looked at was yours. And that was my Bible for a long time. So after that, I started studying it, getting on, uh, I guess, the smoke ring uh, barbecue forum. Yeah, I that is an old forum. Yeah, oh, yeah. but there's, yeah. Still, I mean, there's a lot of good information to be mined from there's there. There's a ton yeah. of good information. Yeah. It's not where it was back then. But if you go back to the archives and you see some of that old stuff, it's it's really good. And I'll get on every now and then just out of curiosity. And the guys, the main guys that were there back then are still on. Mr. Mojo Rising. Oh, yeah. My dumb cooks. (laughs) Uh, I learned a ton from that. You know, the great thing about barbecue guys, there's no secrets. The hard work is a secret. So no one is scared to tell their tricks. And that's what was great about the forum. Everyone had tricks and they all, you know. That's when I discovered the uh, that vinegar mustard sauce. Someone on there was talking about it. And, but no, what I always tell people is like, I, I got no secrets. Just day starts at four in the morning. You show up at four in the morning, I'll show you everything. No one that I've not hired, obviously <laughs> like Wade shows up, 
no one show, has ever shown up. I'm like, teach me how to barbecue. All right, I'm, I'm barbecuing in two days. Come Meet me at four in the morning. So you're working at Kona Grill out in Sugar Land after you've, you've finished culinary school and you're back at, back home. Um, so, so you eventually ran into fine dining. How did that start for you? Well, after Kona Grill, I was working actually at the Chevron Towers downtown doing Mongolian, running a Mongolian grill. But every day on the way home, I passed the, the Burdens of Houston building, which was being rebuilt uh, after Hurricane Ike. Kind of a roster of incredible chefs that have worked there over the years. Yeah, Chris Shepard, yeah. Randy Evans, Carl Walker, uh, Joe Cervantes is, is there, Danny Trace. Danny Trace worked there for a long time, uh, yeah. Sean Hochstein, who's the chef at The Grove. Daniela soto Ainz, James Beard Award winner at Cosme. Yeah, she's got a bit of a resume. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, and a number of people. There's people coming up still. Uh, and uh, it's just, I mean, it's that place is an institution. 50 years has been open. Pump, it teaches you how to run a restaurant. Not how to run a kitchen, how to run a restaurant. And I've learned so many lessons in that restaurant. It was insane. And, uh, no, I just driving by there, watching them rebuild every day. It's like, you know what, maybe try something different you know i've been kind of doing some not fine dining just regular bullshit food let me try some you know challenge myself a little bit uh applied there uh got an interview my resume stood out because i worked at Binnigan's for a year while going to culinary school making the monte cristos <laughs> oh god that's I, I try and get everyone to put Monte Cristo on their menu, but I'll never put it on mine because it is such a pain in the ass, but it is so good. But yeah, so he's Chef Javi, who works for Cisco now. Um, he's just like, I used to work at the Bennigan's on Kirby. Uh, I know you got to be quick. you got to be able to move in that kitchen because it, it's insane. It really, it's like you're pulling off 10 tickets at a time. It's just trailed. It's so like you tell a two people work in the fryer like all right you start frying stuff and i'll just pile it here and i'll start putting it on plates uh and you know i left right before they ended up going bankrupt and closing and it was a, a shit show but it's still a grinder or whatever um but so that's what made my resume stand out so uh i got the interview initially didn't get the job like any restaurant when you open up some people don't work out so they call me back asked me to come in why don't you come in a stage you know, yeah cool and when did it and uh you're gonna work with the grill guy he's running a little bit late so just do this do some stuff here and they came to me like an hour later like so the grill guy's not gonna show up can you do this like yeah i've ran a grill before it's you know it's been a year and a half but yeah yeah i can do it and uh it's not the grill that i ran at corner grill where i was cooking bullshit ribeyes and chicken breasts like i'm cooking harris ranch fillets and stuff <laughs> it's, and i mean this is like week two of brennan's being open He's like, all right, you're running the grill. And Bobby Matos was uh, running the pass. He was a sous chef there. Uh, if anyone listening doesn't know who Bobby Matos is by now, uh, Bobby ended up working for uh, Tony Valone for a long time and is now running the kitchen at State of Grace, putting out amazing food at State of Grace here in Houston. Yeah, Bobby uh, makes some of the best pasta. In yeah, extremely talented chef, yeah. yeah. And a really, really good friend. And so I just remember every steak that I sent to the pass. I'm like, can you check that? Make sure that's okay. Make sure, is this cooked correctly? Uh, and we just got slammed. And Brennan's has, it's a huge kitchen, one of the biggest in the city, but there's three entree stations. Three guys cooking all the entrees. And so like, you have 300 people, you got 300 people. There are three people cooking entrees for 300 people. 
and so we just crushed. I had never been that busy in my life. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about the, the stage. Like, I've never been this hot in the kitchen. I've never worked this hard. But holy shit, this is awesome. So then they sit me down, and Bobby and Chef Danny were like, so we're going to offer you the job. Uh, and Bobby goes, so here's the deal. Like, you can stay in clean, and we'll pay you for the day, or you can go home. I'm like, oh, I All right, and I needed two jobs at the time because cooks don't make a lot. And so, all right, cool. I'll stay in clean. Like I'm getting paid. Awesome. Uh, so I worked actually worked two jobs for about six months, and I finally left the, the Chevron gig and went to to Brennan's full time. And and just the the lessons you learn in that restaurant on how to run a restaurant. It's Alex Brennan, one of the owners, is like he'll walk through the kitchen and bend down and pick up trash on the floor himself. The owner, not a lot of owners will do that, but yeah. When he sees you step over a piece of trash, he'll call you over and ask you, why, do you, why didn't you pick that up? So, at the same time, I'm doing barbecue at home on the weekends and stuff like that. And going on barbecue runs here and there. Uh, and then Underbelly and Hay Merchant are opening up. And I remember I went to Hay Merchant with the, the wine guy, uh, Marshall from, from Brennan's. You know, let's go check out this bar. And uh, fell in love with Hay Merchant. Hay Merchant was awesome. Uh, but Marshall had worked with Chris Shepard at Britain's, you know, because Chris used to work there. And so Chris came by and he's like, you guys want a tour of Underbelly? Goes, Which wasn't open yet. Like, yeah, sure. And Chris walked us through and kind of told us what he was wanted to do and how they were going to do things. And it's just like, holy cow, this is awesome. Houston was begging for something like that at that time. And, like, you know, a lot of people like, get, like to give Underbelly and Chris – the credit for starting this culinary thing that Houston's in, and he deserves a lot of it. But there's three OGs: Reef, which is still Ryan open. Yeah. I mean, rebuilding after the hurricane. Uh, Crasel did a lot for the city. Haven, and, yep, and, and Feast. Without Feast and Richard Knight, there's no underbelly. Yeah. And I've heard Chris say that. that that place was it was fucking magical. I mean, that is the most fun. I've ever had in my career and might be the most fun. It was that was a rock star kitchen. It was a rock star kitchen. I mean, you had Daniela, James Beard Award winner, Daniela again. You had Ryan Lashane from Riel, which is a really good restaurant. You had Lau Bento, who I've gone on to work for. JD, yeah, yeah. JD Nuge. You know, you had Maddie. You had Peter Yankee in the butcher shop. It was, and even the lunch guys. The you know, everyone was fucking rock stars. The servers went underbelly. Uh, as we know, it closed down the other week. Half of that staff was the original, especially that front of the house. Half of it was the original, and most of those people came from Catalan. That's Chris Shepard. People love Chris and want to work for him. But it's just we're just gonna do cool shit, and we don't care. We're gonna. But 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 it was nose to tail. So I mean, yeah. explain to people what that means. So we we would get whole pigs in. I mean, literally a whole pig, and break it down ourselves, uh, or Peter would. Um, We'd get whole goats in and break it down. We would get whole... And, and you would cook and serve every piece of that animal. Every piece. Yeah. We wouldn't get a case of steaks. No no case of steaks. No yeah. case of chicken. we get a bunch of chickens in. we get rabbits in. And we're break, I mean, Chris taught us how to break down rabbits. One of the first dishes we did was tete de cochon, which was the uh, pig's face. Your imagination was the limit on what you could do. And I would come to Chris and like, hey, I got this idea for this dish. I kind of want to do this. He's like, well, just fucking do it then. 
Oh, okay. Like, that's, that blew my mind. Like, I, I love to tell people, Brennan's made me a line cook. Like, you, you had to roll at Brennan's. You had to be fast. You're cooking for 300 people a night. You know, you're just pumping food out. And Underbelly made me a chef. Chris made you get out of your comfort zone and cook. He would give me one of the dishes that ran for a while that I did was a curry eggplant dish. And he gave me a bunch of heirloom eggplants. And like, here, do some with this, uh, like curry or something. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was it. That was his only instruction. And so then it's like, oh, I made a curry for him. It hadn't tasted. Like, all right, that's good. Yeah, well, let's do that. Cool. Like, and so that was the, the, the beauty of, of Underbelly. And a lot of people like to knock it. Because there were some misses, you know. There's some dishes that they, weren't. They also weren't did when the, you got uh, that the, kind of creative playground, not everything's going to hit. Exactly. <laughs> if you put yourself out there that much, you're not going to knock it out of the park every time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And Chris was uh, the guy who kind of told me to like stop talking about doing barbecue and just do it. No, I after the the tour, I came back and I begged Chris for a job. I have to work here. I I have to. And I was already on my way out at Brennan's. I had a job lined up at a steakhouse. A sous chef gig for a lot more money but i have to come work at this i what you're talking about is amazing i want to work here and uh, so i started out with was well, we already have our dinner crew but we got a lunch spot like i'll take it. i'll just i just want to be here and about a month later someone had to leave and i moved up to dinner when you decided that it was it was time to leave underbelly it was trying to time time well, to try I something think, new I think before he left underbelly we started doing yeah pop-ups. you were doing pop-ups because, like, you know, I'm talking, you know, I talked, like, you know, I, I make good barbecue, blah, blah, blah. Finally, Chris is like, dude, just stop talking about it and just do it, man. Just do it. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And so, like, I, you know, I, Chris's partner at Underbelly and Hay Merchant were Bobby and Kevin, who were the, the managing partners at Anvil. And Bobby floated this idea of doing barbecue at Anvil once a month and they would have a big blowout uh, on Sundays you know uh, the only day we, we were closed at uh, Underbelly it's like yeah so I did it and it was uh, it was it was great I started doing the thing at Anvil I'd work Tuesday through Saturday get out of service Saturday hustle to get out of there Saturday night run home get the smoker going get their briskets on, cook all night, get the anvil, start service, I think it was at four or whenever they open up, and then do that all night and then go home and finally get some sleep. And uh, I did that once a month for a while. And that just kind of led to the next thing. I ended up at Grand Prize for a while. So was it was it around this time that uh, that you met Miss Erin uh, Smith? Yeah, yeah. She was, uh, she did the menu for Blacksmith, uh, which was across the street, same company. And she was in the kitchen a lot, so I just kind of got to talking, and she needed a smoker for Go Pig or Go Home, and I had this smoker. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we cooked a couple suckling pigs on there, so I guess oh, you could so, see. So your, your history of, of whole hog is uh, actually pretty long. Yeah, yeah, as long as I've been together with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's tied together, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that was my first whole hog, was uh, to suckling pigs that came in frozen from a, a purveyor and a Michon pig from Felix that took hmm. way longer to cook than I thought it was going to take. Do you have any idea what you were doing at the time or was it let's just throw these hogs on a pit? Let's and- just throw these hogs on a pit and just figure it out and, and drink beer. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan usually. Yeah, it was uh, 
it was struggling trying to get those Michon, that Michon cooked all the way. But uh, whatever. I mean, we didn't, it was a competition. We didn't win, but whatever. But we ended up drinking beer in the back of my truck behind Underbelly till like 3 in the morning. Asked her out the second time. The rest is history. But, uh, but no, it was, um, you know, I was doing barbecue once a month while I was in Underbelly. And then um, trying to do as much smoke stuff on the menu as Chris would let me. We did some smoke short ribs, some really cool stuff. I'd bring my smoker up there. It's kind of the beginning of the smoke program at, at, at Underbelly. And at the same time, like, Chris likes to just buy everything from farmers. So it wouldn't be a surprise to walk into the cooler and, holy crap, there's 600 pounds of grapefruit. <laughs> what the hell are we going to do with this? Or, barbecue sauce. <laughs> exactly. I made a grape, uh, grapefruit barbecue sauce, which actually came out really well. You just put a shit ton of sugar in it. And some vinegar, to, you know. But, uh, you know, so we made, I was making cool, and they got that canning program, so, you know, I was making cool barbecue sauces there, you know, putting them on, like, oh, shit, these peaches are going to turn. Let's just make peach barbecue sauce, you know. That's around that time was when Ronnie Killen was uh, doing his pop-ups. And uh, one of our first, I guess, dates, uh, Aaron and I went down to Killen's pop-up when he was still at the steakhouse. Ronnie knew who we were, or probably knew who Aaron was. Uh, I was just some line cook. You know, Aaron was the chef. But, you know, he came out and talked to us and, 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 and took care of us and really enjoyed our, our, the barbecue there. And then, you know, I guess as he got close, I was following him as he was getting, working on getting open, you know, and kind of watching him build that brick pit. He, uh, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'm looking for someone to help out. Why don't you come down and talk? Let's sit down and talk. I went down there and talked. Kind of told me what he wanted to do, what he was thinking about. It's like, I don't know. Let me, let me think about it. You know, I, I loved working at Underbelly. Um, went back and went and told Chris, like, look, Ronnie reached out to me. I'm going down there. I'm not sure if I want to. I just wasn't ready to leave Underbelly. And Chris goes, yeah, you should go do that. And Which was not the answer I expected. I expected him to tell me, he's like, no, stay here. And it's just kind of, what? He's like, well, I mean, you want to run a barbecue restaurant. I can't teach you how to run a barbecue restaurant. So Ronnie can. Just go work for Ronnie. Yeah. Duh. Oh. All right. So went down and talked to Ronnie again. Like, yeah, barbecue's getting pretty serious, you know, so. The next I logical go. step. And, yeah, it's yeah. just the next logical step. So, yeah, I went down, and the timing didn't quite work out where I had to do my two weeks, and so I wasn't there on day one at Killen's, but I think I was there like maybe a week later. Like I had my own style, you know, and but you know, I'm going there to do Ronnie's food and uh, just help him get this place going. Uh, I told Ronnie, look, I really want to open my own restaurant. Like I can promise you a year. Anything after that, who knows? But I've I've always believed, always work at least a year somewhere. Uh, and uh, so I, I promise you a year. Anything after that, we'll see. So, you know, I mean, Killens, out the gate was insane. Uh, and it only got crazier. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so my biggest thing when I was there is, is let's, let's get this line moving as quickly as possible. There's, you know, 300 people online. Biggest complaint is the line. Let's move this as quick as possible. Uh, we had the space to do it. Like, Franklin... Franklin, the blind moves a little slow, but he doesn't have the seats. They have to move slow 
or else you're going to be standing there waiting for a chair to open up. And plus, it's the experience. Aaron's talking to you. And, you oh, know. yeah. But no, so that was, I mean, that was my number one goal when we first opened up. It's like, A, getting Ronnie off the block so you can see how the restaurant is going instead of just being tied to that butcher's block. And then also, like, let's get this moving as quickly as we can. And, and uh, so I wasn't necessarily the, the I wasn't the pit master. Uh, Manny was the pit master. Uh, Manny had been with him for nine years before that. Was going to be with him. It's kind of the legendary thing about Ronnie Killen at this point is the people in his restaurant oh. group have been there a long yeah, time, yeah, yeah. which is almost unheard of in the restaurant industry at this point. Well, but. Ronnie's a good guy to work for. I was yeah. about to say, my, my understanding is he takes care of yeah. his yeah. people. That, that's what well. we've heard yeah. from Ronnie's multiple people. Ronnie's not a people. yeller. Yeah. He, you know, if when Ronnie gets upset and gets loud, you know you screwed up. He, he's a very, he's a great boss. But yeah, so and Manny is still there after I left. What he's is, there like, today. Four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Manny's the pit master, and I'm just, I guess you say the kitchen manager, kind of just make sure the sides come out the way they're supposed to, manage the kitchen, do the orders, help Manny out. I was, it was great because I could, if Manny needed the day off, I can jump on the pits. I know how to barbecue, right? You know, so I'd, I'd show up, kind of help him get stuff going, get stuff off, and then jump in the kitchen, help the guys with the sides, run service, and then uh, help him get stuff on the smoker and stuff. Just kind of tag teaming because it was a lot, man. We were doing. God, I, I don't know. I mean, we were doing like 60-something briskets a day. I think the most we ever did while I was there was like 80. Yeah. 85. The, the, the impact on Killen's Barbecue, on Houston Barbecue is crazy. The amount of yeah. business that Killen's did. I mean, even to this day, but those early days were just nuts. Yeah. I, even to this day, I don't think there's anyone in the state that sells more barbecue than Ronnie. Like, it, it was crazy. St- I remember yeah. those early days that Brian and I went there all the time because like that was the gold standard in Houston. Those days, it was Ronnie, Corkscrew, and a couple other things, and that was pretty much and Gatlin, it. Gatlin's at their original right, location. Right, yeah, Gatlin's yeah, yeah. was still in the little location on 19th Street in the Heights, and, yeah, but but Killen's absolutely was a, was a game changer for, for Houston Barbecue. Yeah. And we uh, didn't have to drive to, to Austin. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, yeah, finally. I mean, it was a huge I, change. I was there, like, once yeah, a month yeah. at What was so year. funny, though, is, like, Corkscrew was up north, and, and Killen's was down in Pearland, and there was still no barbecue restaurants like that in Houston yeah. and it's, it took a while for, for that to hit because I remember people complaining like why isn't it in Houston they keep doing the suburbs like let's do the Houston and you were there for about a year yeah yeah and then, and then around that year time frame you know I guess I guess some more opportunities started well, to rise for you well there was a, so there was an old barbecue restaurant right outside my neighborhood old one of those old school little crappy Houston barbecue joints that you know you grew up eating or whatever but well, uh, back to the 70s was it did it have a live fire was it a brick pit do you remember actually they had an oiler back there a really wow. small wow. like OG oiler um, that wasn't actually it was pieced together it was falling apart um, but that you know they closed and so I started checking that out and it it didn't really work out it needed to be updated you know, ADA, you know, disability stuff and everything was, place is kind of falling apart and it's more of a teardown, but it's right outside the neighborhood. I could walk to work. It's on South Post Oak, which is only getting busier. So it was, a, it's a great location. And if it was in better shape, I probably would have jumped on it, but uh, it, whatever, it didn't work out. And then Lyle Bento approached me the whole time. I'm still doing the pop-ups occasionally, not as much working a little bit more at Killens than I was at Underbelly. Lyle had Pop been a sous chef Midtown. at Underbelly. Yeah. Um, Lyle had built an incredible restaurant reputation. Lyle worked at Feast. Yeah, worked he at was Feast a sous for chef a while. At Feast, yeah. Yeah. So he approached me about doing something. Said, I'm Southern Goods. It's, we're going to do Southern food. We want a smoke aspect to it. Uh, you know, 
want you to come on board. We uh, there's other stuff we want to do as well. So you can do a barbecue restaurant. All right, cool. You know, I jumped on that. So at Southern Goods, I would do the barbecue. What was it? The first Saturday of every month, and uh, I would try and push to let them do me whole hog. Let me do whole hog as well. It's just so different than everything yeah. else. You know, like brisket's so fatty, beef ribs are so fatty. Like two bites of beef ribs and I'm done. You know, <laughs> like the pork. Yeah, pork's fatty. I'm cooking. You know, right now I'm cooking red wattles. Those are super <laughs> fatty, but it's not like heavy as heavy as like a, a beef rib yeah is. i mean as much as we love like super fatty prime beef you eat literally a slice of brisket and you're good you're done yeah, yeah right. you don't or like want anything belly else. burn ends so yeah i mean you, you so can't fatty. eat a lot of it but you can get a plate oh, delicious. Of I, no i like something goods is kind of where i i i really you know something goods and then the, the thing with wes is when i was doing the whole culinary mashup with the uh the barbecue like the beef belly burn ends with the the pimento cheese grits. Is that when you, you kind of decided you really wanted to go out and do your own thing and, and be your own? I mean, obviously doing pop-ups means that you wanted to do your own thing, right? Yeah. But as you grew and as you learned to do um, uh, kind of your specialties and as you tried to do different things, you went on and um, you know, it, it, you started to get the bug, I think, more and more to, to really realize Feed Just Barbecue as an entity. It's just cooking just brisket and ribs and baked beans and slaw just kind of gets boring you know it's you got to scratch that itch something goods around that yeah just mashing up the stuff and i don't think it was a conscious decision i'm going to do it this way i think it was just a natural progression like i'm creating dishes and a lot of the jd and lyle can tell you this every single dish we created in that kitchen i piped up like what if we smoke this or what if we smoke that <laughs> can't smoke everything all right all right just just asking you know and so but thinking like that like normal plated food non-barbecue food how can you add a smoke influence to it and it kind of evolves to the vice versa barbecue food how can you make it more i don't want to say fine dining but non-traditional how can you make it more non-traditional because you know eat so bring, much bringing other coleslaw. flavors into yeah. it right because yeah. because i mean your traditional barbecue is a protein salt and pepper mm. and then you might have the brown sugar and well, it's and, one of those like twists sauce. of fate things but at the same time your your fiance and then eventually wife was was also building her culinary career yeah, yeah. between I, I know aaron had left the clumsy butcher group at one point and went to work for marriott uh the you know main kitchen which was a, a huge restaurant operation yeah then eventually went to camarada where she was working in the wine program so kind of learning every facet of the restaurant industry mm-hmm which which gives you guys a really unique position to be able to create menus and, and restaurant concepts. I know it's your favorite word, Brian. Restaurant <laughs> concepts Concept. that, that's that, that's unique, in not even just Houston, but just in, just in general, to where you're not stuck in that traditional, here's the Texas Trinity, you know, robot beans, coleslaw, potato salad cycle, which as much as, you know, we love the traditional stuff and everyone does it that grows up and lives in Texas, but to get something unique is it, it, it's an experience and it makes you want to come back and it makes you want to try something different right and and eventually you know as you guys built up the, those resumes and built up that experience in different restaurants and different you know areas of the hospitality industry eventually the the opportunity came along for for Fiji's barbecue to become more than just a pop-up to become an actual business yeah. so kind of tell us once that came about you know how was that transition from okay this is a reality now here's what we're going to do I still don't even know how that happened. <laughs> it started building or uh, writing a business plan 
I'm like, all right, I gotta, again, stop talking about it and be about it. Start writing a business plan. And uh, we had some, you know, people, every, you know, everyone tells you, you should open a barbecue restaurant. I think it finally, I think Aaron finally, like, uh, got on board. Like, I kind of want to do this too. It took a little bit of convincing to convince her to do a barbecue restaurant because that was not her plan whatsoever. Well, and she had one chopped um, while, we're, while you were at... Um, at Southern Goods. At Southern yeah, Goods, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, and that, I, I think that publicity obviously helps as well. I mean, it drives, I mean, you know, that's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge thing. Yeah, you know, I mean... People always will always ask, we've done catering gigs, and even people come to the line, like, she looks really familiar. I'm like, is she on TV? Like, was, she was on, she won shots. Oh, really? Like, and then, like, oh, and they want to take pictures with her. Like, it's so funny. Like, she's like this. So the Daily Mystery Basket special was that? No. Yeah, you know, we need to do that. That's a good, that's a good idea. I'm going to tell her that. Like, like I'm going to throw some stuff in a basket. You're cooking it. That's our special. Yeah, she's going to love that. Yeah, as long as it's not what she cooked. She cooked rattlesnake and alligator. It was the deadliest basket, so it was, like, stuff that could kill you, right? Like, but, uh, no, she got on board with it, and then so we started working on it together instead of me just trying to figure it out. Like I cook meat, like I'm not, I'm not smart. There's no way I get this restaurant open without her. No way. But uh, we decided like we didn't want to do partners. We're gonna do this together. And uh, it took us a while. We, real estate in the city sucks for restaurants. Well, just in general, but especially in restaurants because Houston is hot right now. And so we looked for almost a year for brick and mortar. We came close a couple times. Some stuff fell through. For better or worse, they fell through. David Buer from Greenway Coffee, who had been there for eight years and, and who owns Blacksmith, Aaron worked at, and who owns, he owns Morningstar, who I sell brisket for their kolaches. And he owns a number of other stuff. Uh, David's one of the good guys in the city uh, and a champion for the city. Um, been kind of working, behind, whispering, you know, uh, working the behind the scenes, trying to get us in the Greenway. I think he helped get Rice Boxing Greenway and probably Kuma Burger or Burger Chen. Burger Chen, yeah. Yeah, formerly Kuma Burger. Um, and so he kind of he got us a couple gigs to do uh, in partnership with the rodeo in Parkway, uh, who, who manages the Greenway property, and kind of like a, a trial, like impress these people. And so we did it, and they reached out to us and wanted to talk and about getting in the Greenway, the food court. And it was not what we were planning. We wanted the brick and mortar. We had plans, lunch and dinner, bar program, parent wine. Aaron really no wants one's to... dream is the food court. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, Erin really wants to, um, you know, she, she knows wine. You know, so parent wine with barbecue is not something people really do. And so we kind of wanted to do that as well and, and have a dinner menu. And, but, yeah, these guys approached us, and it just made sense. And so we're like, all right, well, we'll do this. And just give us time to kind of put our name out there, because a lot of the real estate never hit the market. And, and let's talk about the, the location so our listeners can find out and go, as well. So it's at at Three Greenway Plaza, which is in Houston. And, and one of the things that struck both Brian and I when we first looked at the Fiji's Barbecue menu is, holy crap, you guys are doing a lot of food. <laughs> Dan, Daniel Vaughn said the same thing. Are you really cooking all that? Like, it, yeah. It's it's it, kind of it's incredible how much eight, you guys are eight doing. proteins every day. And a special, you know, Plus not every day, but many special. days. They have a menu. They 
viewers yeah, they yeah. brought a menu so they can count it <laughs> that's right well we counted it the first time yeah. we went it's 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 I, impressive it honestly like when, when you think about the quality of the food that you guys are doing and the quantity you know in terms of breadth of menu that you guys are doing it's it's incredible um and this is not a detriment on franklin barbecue we love franklin barbecue they've been open for almost 10 years now they serve five meats and three sides you yeah, guys and, have been open bear. for a month, and you serve about eight meats, eight and, meats 11 and 11 sides. And that's not to say, hey, sides. you're better than Franklin Barbie. It's just the amount of food that you guys are cooking. Yeah. It's extremely impressive. Um, we it's expre- And it's, it's, it's impressive because it's damn good. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, it's not just it's that you doing a lot. It's hard to do two or three things yeah. well. It's much harder to do the amount of things that you guys are doing and do them well. And Brian's been once. I've been twice. I'll be back again. I've been eating your food for years. But tell us a little bit about once you guys started putting the menu together, was it, hey, we want to do all this? Or was it you were so excited about everything you couldn't edit anything down? Or how did it become what it is right well, now? So being in the, the office building, is, uh, it's we're a, more of a convenience. Yeah, people, for the most part, you know, like that we're there. But we're a convenience. Like we're going to go down to the food court and eat what we feel like. We're in the mood for Chinese food. We'll go eat Chinese burger or barbecue. But one thing I noticed when I was at Killens, it was probably about 80% guys coming in, you know. And then when I take Aaron out to eat barbecue, when when I drag Aaron along to eat barbecue, I'm sure Lolly can attest to this as well. <laughs> like Aaron gets the baked potato because he doesn't want to eat a bunch of heavy meat. But barbecue restaurants don't offer a lot of healthy options. They don't offer salads and, and stuff like that. So we really wanted to appeal to the people that wanted to eat healthier. I can't ask people to eat a beef rib and go well, sit down and, at their desk for three more hours. And, you know, to knock it, though, when you say healthier, sometimes these things are, are loaded with, with with tasty calories. Right, but, yeah. but it's not beef, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not, not a fatty it's beef. It's well, that's meat like, fat. Well, that's <laughs> like our, our, our uh, coleslaw. It's a yogurt-based. There's no mayonnaise in there. Yeah. It's yogurt, which is healthier. It, but it's still creamy like a mayonnaise-based right. coleslaw. We we don't do beans. We are are instead of cream corn, we're doing the elote, uh, corn salad. Um, you know, we got the kale salad. We have I mean, a. Uh, I mean, Moroccan spiced carrots is, is Although, simple. Uh, it may be my favorite sound. side so yeah, far yeah. that I've eaten on your menu. Dude, um, it's it, we cook so many carrots, it's ridiculous. It, they're really good, and, and it's and it's unique, and it's one of those things that like. A lot of people are get get scared by words that aren't familiar to them. Like oh, a lot yeah. of people don't know what the word Moroccan means. It's it's a flavor profile. Yeah. Moroccan mold. I mean, if I put <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> if I put baked beans on that menu, that's all I'm gonna sell. We don't want to do that. We're gonna do a bean, but it's not gonna be your traditional baked beans. We're gonna do our version of it. Just because everyone else does it doesn't mean we have to do it. And that's the way we approach this menu. It's like yeah, everyone does coleslaw. We kind of kind of have to do a coleslaw because it, it lends well with barbecue we don't have to do mayonnaise based or vinegar based we're gonna do what we want to do you know and and i do have some influence on the side that's mostly aaron you know um i'll you know aaron she likes to cook outside of the box in different cultures i mean the the yogurt has a bunch of indian spices because aaron did a dinner with anita from Pondicherry. And learn this cool trick where the Nita blooms the spices in oil, and so Aaron does that and puts that in the slaw. So we're now we've we've been waiting for Feature's Barbecue to become a full time thing. We're extremely excited that that both of you guys are involved in this because it brings two really great talents and two great perspectives on cooking together um, to to just produce a really unique menu that you can't get in Texas. So 
we've been excited about it. We're glad it's finally here. We're, we're super happy for you and Aaron. Um, we're looking forward to seeing where it's going in the future. I mean, we're going to be out there regularly and obviously as regularly we, as we can. Well, are it's going to be regular any? for me because I'm three miles. From right. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, well, thank you so much for listening to this. Patrick, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. We've been looking forward to it for a long time. Yeah. And uh, get out to Vegas Barbecue, guys. Absolutely. Go eat it. Don't be afraid. Best food court barbecue in Texas. There you I go. Know.